bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. I am super excited about my episode today with Sonia Clark. Sonia is the VP of Talent Strategy and HR at Trivium Corporate Solutions. Trivium supports entrepreneurs and executives with corporate strategy and execution, such as accounting, finance, HR, marketing, just a host of services to help those entrepreneurs and executives be more successful. Sonia has had a long career in HR and in learning leadership positions. I met Sonia and her husband, Spencer, some time ago, and we've been friends and networking colleagues probably for the last two decades. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Diane. I really appreciate being asked and uh, participating with you. So before we get into today's topic, which is going to be around job fit and cultural fit, I'd love for you just to share a little bit about your background and what brought you to the place you're in now. Well, let me, you know, I have a really unique background, I guess, as an HR person. Um, My degree has nothing to do with HR. Actually, my degree is in molecular biology. And I'm one of those people that has been so fortunate in my career that, that somebody saw more in me than I saw in myself and helped me end up in a career that has been just a perfect fit for me. I've also had the pleasure and and the experiences of being able to work in both really large companies, you know, Fortune 50 companies, as well as a number of startups in technology, in med devices, in manufacturing. So I really have a very background in the different types of companies that I've worked in and learned that from an HR standpoint, People are people, no matter what type of industry you're in. And I hope that I've had a, you know, a, a significant impact on several of the folks that I've, uh, I've been able to touch in my career. Oh, I know it's not hope. I know you have had a significant impact in many people. And you and your husband have just been wonderful role models as far as giving back and mentoring women and just mentoring groups. So, you know, thank you on behalf of the industry and what you've done and how you continue to give back and share your expertise with others. Thank you. So let's let's go back and define and kind of think through what is job fit? Is there a good way that you would define a job fit when you're describing it to, you know, maybe one of your key leaders? There are several components as I think about job fit and we discuss them um, when we are either hiring someone or dealing with a performance issue. There's the component around the skills that are required to actually perform the job. There's the component around how the person gets along with their colleagues. And then there's also the component about the culture of the organization and how does that person actually impact or bump up against the culture of an organization. And so I look at it in three different parts because you can have any of those parts not working just right and that person will not be a good fit for the organization. And we're talking about just 
these aren't just low-level positions. When you don't have a good fit at a higher-level position, one of your leadership positions, it's pretty costly. When you talk about what you've done to recruit for that position and get the person oriented into the role, uh, to not have that work out, it costs lots of money. I know one of the things you're passionate about is really making sure that processes are in place to get the right person in there. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. Oh, and gosh, you are just so right that the expense, not just the collateral damage, but the expense of hiring at any level, but particularly at the senior level of somebody who is not a good fit in an organization is significant. I think some of the statistics that I had heard around just the actual cost of it is that it costs a company between two and three times the annual salary of an employee especially at at an executive level, if they are not a good hire for the company. So it can be extremely expensive. Um, But some of the things that we are doing to help executives are definitely spending more time up front when we're interviewing the candidates, having group interviews with the candidate and being really honest about what that position is going to look like and what we're asking. Um, One of the things I always ask candidates to ask is why are they a good fit for the position? Because many times, for example, a company is asking a person to come in to be a change agent or to lead an initiative that they themselves at this point have not been able to accomplish. And it's always important to understand why that hasn't been done internally yet. Because lots of times companies, the culture is very resistant to those type of changes. And so the answer sometimes tends to be, well, let's go outside and get somebody else to do it. But guess what? Getting somebody new from outside the organization that doesn't know the culture and doesn't know how to maneuver can be even more detrimental and frustrating for not only the person, but for the people internally. And the change doesn't happen. So that's one of the things that we work on significantly. One of the other things I use to work on with senior executives is I use a behavioral profile tool, not just for the candidate coming in. And some of you have heard of like Myers-Briggs or you've heard of a DISC profile. I use one that is called an activity vector analysis. And it's a little more robust than some of the other ones that you've uh, that you may have uh, encountered in your in your regular um, jobs. Um, but the way that we use this tool is not only understanding the candidate that's coming in, but I use it with the hiring manager that this candidate is going to work with. And what this allows is an early baseline of the natural behavioral tendencies of both of those people. And sometimes even broader, the team that the person is, that the candidate is going to go join, um, along with this candidate's natural behavioral tendencies. And this way up front, we know where things are going to bump up against each other. And we can have those discussions at the very beginning of the conversation. So it really does change the way that we look at fit um, with an individual as well as with teams. Wow. I love it. Those points, excellent points. You brought up so many cool things in regards to looking at assessments. And even though I'm not a huge supporter as I coach executives in doing 
360 and different assessments to help them figure out what they need to do differently. I like to have more 360 interviews and things like that. When it comes to job fit or team fit, I think it's really helpful to understand the makeup of the team and who do you need to be part of the team. I I share an example several times when I'm coaching executives and talking about teams is the worst team I ever worked on is when I hired people that were just like me. It was terrible. You had all these people that were ideal people. And I wanted to bring a new energy into this organization and into this team. And wow, do you need a nice balance of people and you need people that are the, you know, introverted and the more analytical type. So, you know, I really am a huge supporter of looking at when you're hiring somebody, what is the person that is going to really help round out your team and be aware of who your existing team members are. Uh, But you brought up another thing about group interviews. And it's funny because I'll talk to people about, oh, I hope it's not a group interview. And I'm like, but that's one of the best ways to get a feel for the culture and the people is, you know, can you interact with a group of people that you're going to be working with? I love how you said it's a two-way interview process. You know, are you going to want to be part of that group? So give me a little bit more if you were coaching an organization on how to most successfully do maybe these group or peer interview sessions. So that's such a great question because you've got it right on the nose. Not only is the candidate being interviewed, but the candidate should be watching how that team interacts with each other as well and how together they're going to interact with the candidate because you and I have both seen in our HR careers where somebody new that is, you know, being rejected in an organization, it's almost like organ rejection. Um, You know, the team can really gang up on them. And so (laughs) that's the bad news. The good news is when you do a group interview, everybody gets to see that the behaviors and the cultural norms in that organization up front. So when I say group interview, I'm not saying that we're not going to do individual interviews, but what we do and when we set these up is we do some type of, you know, kind of structured interview process. And it doesn't necessarily have to be interview guides, but there are individual interviews done initially. And then what we do is we bring the team together and do a group interview. So they've already had all the questions around how long did they work in each of the jobs and kind of the regular rote things. But what we try to do in a group interview is actually have like a real working project that this person now would be contributing to the organization. So for example, when I interviewed with one of the companies that, that I worked with, what they asked me to do was they gave me a bunch of information on their employee survey. Of course, being in HR and the position I was interviewing for was the CHRO position. And so they gave me information on the employee survey for the last several years and asked me to present to the executive team and um, share with them what my recommendations would be. And it was an interactive process. So the team got to see my thinking. They got to see my presentation skills, by the way, because I had to do a presentation. And I got to see how they responded to my ideas. And we had a great banter for about 45 minutes to an hour where they got a chance to ask questions. And I thought that was one of the best interactions that I've had in an interview situation. And we really got to know each other in that 45, you know, minutes to an hour. And I think it it really gave us a step up 
in the way that we were able to interact with each other. And we have done this now in several interviews where we've asked the candidate, especially at the executive level, we give them a lot of information on the role that they want to uh, participate in. And we ask them to come in with a presentation that is about 20 to 25 minutes long. We get the presentation ahead of time. The team gets to see the presentation and be prepared with questions when they come in. And you get to see the candidate present, you get to see their presentation skills, and you get to see their interaction with the team. I love that. That is so cool. And and I know from an interviewee's point of view, it can be a little stressful. I mean, there isn't a better way to see more about the company and your way of thinking and does it gel with what the company needs. So I actually think that is such a great experience. Very cool. Yeah. And you're not doing it with every candidate. You're doing it with your final candidates, right? So I think that is where you really want to make sure the rubber hits the road in how that person can show up as part of the team and, you know, be able to gel and also be able to demonstrate their ability to present because presentation skills is extremely important at the executive level. Yeah, I love that. You know, are they able to gel and can they show up in the right way? Anything else when we're looking at job fit that a company should be, um, you know, looking out for? You know, you said something that I think is important for us to expand on a little bit. You talked about the worst team was when everybody had the same type of a profile. We know that managers hire in their own image. It's natural for them to do that. And there's lots of controversy about structured interview processes. But one of the things that we really can teach executives is the value of diversity on their teams. Because as you said, you know, you are just a brilliant strategist. In, in all the years that I've known you and we've been friends, it's one of the things that just absolutely stand out about your ability to come up with unique and you know wonderful ideas but you need to have that person on your team who's kind of like Diana's COO, who's going to take those ideas and be able to implement them and make sure that those things, you know, get done really, really well. I have the same characteristic. And so being able to what I call map the skills that you need on the team and value the differences between the people on your team is critical. You know, somebody who's very detail oriented is going to take longer to to complete something. They may um, ask lots and lots of questions. And if you're a high level strategic thinker, that person may feel like either they're not getting their work done or they're just always asking questions and they don't ever produce anything. There's a different way to coach that style than your natural behavioral tendencies would be if you're strategic. And so this is a place where that structured interview process gets to some of those differences and allows them to shine as positive and helps people understand that those differences are needed when you map all of the different behaviors required to make a team successful. When I'm coaching people that are interviewing for jobs and let's say they don't get it and they'll be so bummed, like maybe I didn't have this right experience or whatever. Once you get through the first one or two screening and interviews, it really is about job fit and the company finding that right person that's going to balance out or help that team. And then I love how you said that it's two ways. And the, you know, the candidate is also interviewing to see if they want to be part of that company. What other things would you coach uh, a candidate 
to think about in regards to before they would say, yes, I'll take this job? What things should they be thinking through in regards to a fit for this position? That's so funny. One of the things that Spencer and I both do is we launch the executive MBA class for Santa Clara University every year. We've done it now for the last 16 years. We're the keynote speakers. And one of the things that we talk about with that group, because everybody's always thinking about their next step, we use a process called the Kempner Trago criteria. It allows you to pick what are the most important things in a new job, the things that you must have for this job to work for you, the things that you would like to have for this job to work for you, and it allows you to weigh each of those characteristics that you've listed. And it allows you to put different companies side by side by side. Because what happens during an interview process is you get excited about it. You get caught up in the process. And this KT criteria allows you to kind of step back from being in the emotion at the moment and be able to say, here are the things that are really important to me. Now, how did this company score on those things? And I can't tell you how many times I've had people who I've coached come back to me and say, you know, I would have made the wrong decision, even though the compensation and title might have been there, at least I knew that from an emotional, from a cultural fit standpoint, I wouldn't have been a good fit. And so that's one other tool that we use when we're coaching people and um, getting caught up in the emotion of a job instead of really understanding the fit of that job versus what they need in the culture of a company. That's a great tool. I'm not familiar with it, but we'll make sure for our audience members that we include a link Uh, so that they could go and find out more information. And I think just stepping back and really thinking through what do you want out of this position is so helpful because we know today candidates are not just going after one job. They've got multiple options and, you know, companies, if they're not thinking this, they need to be thinking of, you know what, they're interviewing us too. And there's going to be other, you know, options for them as well. So I love that using that tool. Um, So kind of going back to one of the things you started with is the culture always wins. And so maybe let's turn a little bit and focus more towards that is how does job fit relate to cultural fit? It's always interesting because I'm on the other side lots of times too, since being the head of talent strategy, I'm also helping senior executives think about what jobs they want to create and how that job works within the rest of their team, and how is it going to interact with the candidate that comes in? How is that candidate going to fit into that job? So when I think about job fit and culture fit, it actually goes together lots of times. And then the places where it really um, bumps up against each other is what we had kind of started discussing before, is whether that job that they're creating is to do something that their culture internally was not able to allow somebody inside the organization or other people that they've hired from outside the organization make it there. Um, So think about when a company is going through transition or going through a change. How many times have you heard a manager say, you know, we just really need somebody to come in here and be a change agent. 
You've heard that, haven't you, Diane? I have. I know you've been hired as a change agent to move into companies several times. It's like one of your uh, specialties. It, it really is. And it's actually, you know, I did eventually learn that that is code for we couldn't get it done internally. We need somebody really <laughs> to come in and try to make this work. This is how I came upon the culture always wins uh, phrase in itself, actually, because uh, I learned after a couple of trial and errors that really what they were saying is that, that their culture was very resistant to this change agent role that they were building um, into their executive teams or you know their leadership team. And, and when you talk about the role itself and the culture of the organization, it's really important to ask that those questions as a candidate as to why do you need somebody from the outside to come in and do this job? Why haven't you been able to create this change internally yourselves and really listen to their answers? I heard things like, uh, we have a very passive aggressive culture and we don't have people here who really want to step out on that limb and, and make sure that the job gets done. And so those are real clues to, to me or to a candidate when they're telling you that their culture internally didn't allow that new job that they've created to be successful really important to ask those questions and really listen to why it hasn't been successful in the past for them. That is such an excellent question. I mean, I can see it being used by a variety of people. One, the candidate going in, but then internally like, okay, why haven't we been able to? Because if we can't make sure this person is supported, they're not going to be successful either. So, wow, there's a lot going on when you think about cultural fit in organizations. So do you believe that there is just this inherent cultural fit in an organization? I, I do think that that there that organizations create their own kind of world, their own inertia, uh, whether it's in, you know going in a positive direction or a negative one. I absolutely believe it. When early in my career I worked at uh, GE computer systems. And one of the things that GE did really, really well was understand what their culture was. We did lots of acquisitions when I was there. And they used to say that it takes twice as long to change a culture as it does to build one. Hmm. So if you think about that phrase in itself, and if you're being brought in to be a change agent for a culture, you have to have an executive mandate to, to really make those that impact happen. And sometimes I've even had where a CEO making that executive mandate was not strong enough to stand up when the culture pushed back. Interesting, yes. But let's say, you know, within a couple months, somebody's feeling like they're just not a good fit or maybe the organization is feeling like this person uh, isn't a good fit and there's this perception that not sure this person is going to stay around or that we should keep them around. What would you start coaching people to think about if they're feeling like they're not a fit for the culture or your leaders are telling you, maybe your CEOs, you know, I hired this C-level person and I'm not sure they're a cultural fit. That's really an interesting dilemma. I actually have a situation right now where um, a, a very senior person 
went into a company knowing that it was quite a different culture than where she has been successful in her past careers. We had the conversation while she was going in. I was coaching her through the process, the interview process. And when it came down to her getting the job offer, we had a very serious conversation about her going into a culture that is really quite counter to her natural tendencies. And so from this perspective, she's now bumping up against all the things that we were concerned about. She's a real driver, a real go-getter. This company actually told her during the interview process, we don't like change and we are very slow to change. In fact, I think the interview process lasted about six months for her into this organization. And now she's feeling that pressure of not being able to you know, really have the impact that she's accustomed to having. And my conversations with her have been more around Let's back up. Let's decide if this is really where you want to be. And if it is, then how can we get you to a place where maybe you're not driving things the way that you're accustomed to, that maybe you're really listening to your clients on what they want from you. And, you know, maybe there are other things outside the organization or maybe even within the organization that could keep you interested and engaged. But that you're not creating a culture clash between how you like to get things done and how the culture is telling you that you need to get things done. So that's one example from a candidate standpoint. And I can give you an example from a, a, a company standpoint as well. Yeah, I think that would be great because one of the things when I'm coaching leaders is helping them understand, you know, what is within their control and what can you slowly influence. So I know we've heard the term, sometimes you have to play by the rules until you get to a level where you can change the rules, right? And sometimes going in at a lower level and the culture is one thing, I think you have to take a hard look at, can you survive in that culture? Can you create the change that you want to? May not be in the time frame, but I think this is an important one because I think this is one of the areas that is really tied to job satisfaction. If you don't feel like you're clicking with the culture or it's going against what maybe you personally believe in or, or want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It actually just drains your mental battery. I mean, I think most of us have had the experience of being in a place where we don't feel like we fit and we don't feel like we're adding value. And it really is exhausting. And it's also a little bit uncomfortable because you don't know whether what you're going to do or what you're going to say or what you're going to present is viewed as positive or negative. And nobody likes to have negative feedback on a regular basis. And so I, I totally agree with your statement. One of the things that I think a lot of executives and companies are really challenged with today, especially in the tech world where I spend a lot of my time, is looking for that specific skill set, right? So we've got people who are, for example, a company I'm working with right now, they have to have you know, a very technical data um, analytics background, as well as a logistics background, as well as having sold a SaaS product into enterprise companies, as well as, you know, I mean, all of these requirements for them to be the right candidate. Well, I've presented a few candidates that have this huge list of requirements for this company. And 
you know, they're really struggling with a couple of the candidates because they know they technically have the skills that they need, but they're not comfortable with their ability to fit with the organization. So this is a sales sort of a role in a very data-driven, very operationally driven company. And so you've got to have some unique skills as a salesperson. The CEO is struggling and a couple of the executives are struggling with having more of a communicator, more of a sales kind of a guy, even though they've got the technical skills. But again, we're trying to help them understand valuing that difference if they've got the technical skills. Mm -hmm. We've also got the flip side where you've got these technical skills and they want to hire the technical skills, but they really know that they're not a good fit for the organization and they're getting pressure from the board. They're getting pressure from, you know, other parts of the organization. I had a COO tell me the other day that we really are getting pressure from the board to fill this position and this guy is good enough. And I know that that's not going to last for a long time. So it's a very tough balance that even the executives have to have to play because they have pressure from other places to get these positions filled. And it's hard to find technical talent that's exactly just the right fit. Yeah. And being aware if it is going to be a little bit culturally challenging, knowing that up front and making sure that you're just going to it with your eyes wide open and understanding maybe where some of the challenges so that you might be able to work. Yeah, well, one of the things that we can do too is when we use a tool like an AVA, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is particularly between the person who's going to manage this candidate and themselves, is we look at the different behavioral tendencies and we work with the manager and the candidate to say, the way you two are gonna be most successful is you know, X, Y, and Z. Mr. Manager, this is a very detailed person you're hiring because you really need that detail orientation on your team. This is gonna mean more frequent one-on-ones. This is gonna require you to set deadlines. And then to the candidate, we make sure they understand that you know, this manager is a higher level, more strategic thinker than you are. It's gonna be very important for you to be concise for you to speak in bullet points maybe, for you to deliver when you commit on delivering, for you to ask for due dates because you wanna make sure that you meet the manager's timeline. So that's how we use coaching as a tool when we're doing hiring as well as when you have an internal uh, person who has issues or you need to help them improve. Yeah. Well, I wanna turn to a topic I know we're both very passionate about. We've actually compared notes and helped each other is when we look at personal culture, you know, you brought up diversity and really making sure you have diverse teams. Well, diverse cultures is, you know, really important. And as we look at different groups of individuals moving through companies, right now there is a need for more Asian, especially Asian females in leadership positions. And sometimes that's challenging. So maybe let's turn it towards you a little personal is what is it like to be one one of the relatively few Asian American women in a corporate leadership position like you are. It's interesting because I have been the only female executive on four different senior executive teams. And first of all, being a woman on a senior executive team is already 
uh, a level of diversity, which is quite unique. Mm -hmm. Then if you go down to the next level, I happen to be from the continent of Asia, hard to believe with no accent because I've been in the United States most of my life, but I was actually born um, in India. And so we've got that next tier of my Asian culture that also impacts the way that I feel, the way I behave, the way I interact on teams. And it creates another challenge at times because not only am I a woman that's on this team, but I'm also an Asian woman. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a wife. And so all of those things come into play when I make decisions, when I decide where to spend my time. And I have seen many of my colleagues who are not just women, but Asian women, as they move up the ladder, decide that, you know what, this is quite enough. We have too many other responsibilities at home, and they opt out of the executive workforce. If I didn't have the support that I do have from my husband and my mom, quite frankly, who is still a very active part of our family and our life, it would have been a very different and difficult decision for me to have the career that I have today. I would have had to make different choices. I was going through as I was getting ready for this interview, just looking at some articles. And I thought this article was written last year, and we'll make sure we provide the link, where they quoted the Deb Liu, who is the vice president of Marketplace on at Facebook. She says, my Chinese immigrant parents raised me to not stand out too much. They encouraged me to study hard, work diligently, and not draw too much attention to myself. Asian culture is collective in nature, which suited my personality and temperament, but not American culture. American culture rewards those who stand out, speak up, and make their voices heard. And I just think it's a really good representation of a culture that those of us that didn't grow up in that culture should be more aware of. And, you know, it's easy to coach somebody, oh, you know, raise your hand and, oh, they must be more of an introvert and not understand that in some cases they are going uh, against the culture that they've grown up and felt comfortable with. Uh, so, you know, what what kind of things are you doing to help maybe just broaden it, even to just minority leaders succeed in today's organizations? That quote is so telling and it's so relevant to any Asian culture because our cultures are thousands of years old when you think about Asian cultures. And people have had to live and work and and behave with each other in a respectable and acceptable way for so long. And particularly women are asked to, to stay in the background, but they actually run the household. And so I totally relate to what, what she um, has said there. And I would actually add to that that when I'm coaching Asian women or women in general, again, I, and I don't want to just you know single out Asian women, but this is actually quite particular to Asian women. One of the differences in big differences in America versus uh, Asia is the way that we are asked to represent ourselves during a review process or during uh, a project. What we are taught in Asia is to include people in that to give credit to everybody who participated and to diminish our role in performance, in doing a project, in uh, delivering. Because you're supposed to be humble 
and you're supposed to not try to stand out. In America, we ask people to stand out. We ask people during a review process, tell me what you've done to impact the company. That is extremely counter to the Asian culture. And so lots of coaching that I've done in my career is with women and particularly with Asian women and also at times Asian men, where I've had to help them think about how they answer that question on, you know, how did I achieve my management by objectives for this bonus period in America where they're saying, tell me what you did to impact in an Asian culture. That interpretation is you are bragging about the things that you did to accomplish your work, which, you know, is part of your job. So it's a very uh, interesting balance that we have to pay attention to. And every culture has its nuances. And here in America, you know, we want everybody to get in line with the way that Americans uh, value performance and value people raising their hand and saying, look at me, here's what I did, uh, versus other cultures where that just really isn't viewed as respectable or a good thing to do as part of a team. It's coming across as two-way now. So leaders need to learn about these cultural differences and be aware of them. And I think about even how much I've grown and learned over the last decade or two that would have helped me so much earlier in my career. But hopefully now I'm able to take that and, and help others. But then also individuals need to understand where they're coming out of their comfort zone or they need to if they want to show that they could be a good job fit. So just such insightful uh, perspective. Thank you. Who's had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? That is such a great question. And I get asked that um, quite often. And the answer is a little bit complex for me, uh, only because I am an Asian woman. My parents did come over here uh, when I was a child. And so I worked for my father most of my early life. I started working when I was 12 years old. My dad used to say to me, there are no excuses. And so if I think about that little voice in the back of your head when you're trying to get something done, the first voice is my dad's where it says where, you know, he used to tell me no excuses, um, just get it done. The next voice in my head is my mom's that was always telling me that work comes first. Being uh, a daughter of immigrant parents, both of my parents worked two jobs for the first several years that we were in America. And... Um, you know, work always came first because they provided for us as a, as a family and that was their priority. So work had a very high place in our house. And so my mom would also always help me uh, whenever I needed to, to do something and made sure that I put work first. And then the last person who really had a big influence on me is my husband. And you know him very well. Many of our friends know him very well. Spencer had a long career at GE. And I used to tell him when I first met him, because uh, he was my manager uh, at the time, was that he has probably forgotten more than most of us managers would learn in our lifetime. And, and it's true. He taught me more about being a leader probably than anybody else did, just because of the, the example that he always set and the skills that he had when he was my boss. Um, and so 
I, I think those are probably the three most impactful people on me in my career. And I can see in you how each one of those has shaped who you are and and how that shapes how you show up and how you role model and coach others. So thank you for sharing that. So as we get close to wrapping up, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? I really think that when we look at our organizations, when we look at our teams, and when we look at our people, really recognizing the diversity in not just backgrounds, but in skills, really looking at that team as a map of people, not just a homogeneous group, because you do need all aspects of behaviors in order for that team to be successful. You do need all aspects of culture and gender for those teams to be successful. So you have that broad perspective of your customer base. When you build your team, think in terms also of the customers that you're going to serve and the clients that you have, because that is a reflection of what your teams should look like. Terrific advice. So how can our listeners get in touch with you or continue to learn more from you? Oh, I'm happy for anybody to reach me. I can be easily reached at Trivium. My email there is S-O-N-I-A at TriviumCS.com. That's T-R-I-V-I-U-M-C-S.com. If you reach me by email, I'll be happy to set up a time to talk to you. Great. And I know you're also on LinkedIn and Oh, I am. Yes, yeah. of course. That's another good thing. Well, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful catching up with you and so appreciate you sharing your insights, perspective, experience with our audience. Thanks so much, Diana. This has been so much fun. I've been looking forward to it and I love all of my time with you. Take care. Thank you. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Sonia identified three components for assessing job fit. One, does the individual have the skills required to perform the job? Two, how does the person get along with his or her colleagues? And three, does the individual fit into or clash with the organizational culture? All three of these components have to work in order to have a good job fit. A behavioral profile tool can be used in the interview process to identify how the candidate and the manager will work together. Sonia uses one called the Activity Vector Analysis, and we posted a link to that on the note pages for this episode, which you can find by going to talent-champions.com, click on Episodes, and then find Episode number 23. Both the candidate and the manager complete the assessments so that both sides can understand how they'll work together and need to adapt to each other. Group interviews are another great tool to help assess job fit when used toward the end of the recruiting process. Ask the candidate to present on a topic related to the role and have the interviewers prepare questions for the presentation. Not only will you see how the candidate performs, but the candidate gets the opportunity to see how his or her prospective team works together. And you will definitely obtain greater buy-in from the group on your new employee. When you're seeking a new role and interviewing with several companies, 
the Kepner-Trego criteria can help you to step back from the emotion of the process and create a numerical comparison of the opportunities in front of you. Again, visit our website, talent-champions.com, go to the page for episode 23, and you'll find a link to learn more. When you hear the term change agent, proceed with caution. While a change agent can be a marvelous thing, it also tends to be a red flag that the company has tried and failed to accomplish something internally and thinks bringing in an outsider will help overcome the cultural resistance to the change. Sometimes this can work, and other times the new leader could be set up for failure. Personal culture also plays an important role in fit. As you heard on our last episode with Paula Caligiuri, being culturally agile means having the ability to work with people from other cultures. So if you missed that episode, I strongly recommend you go back and check it out. Sonia pointed out that cultural agility has to go both ways. You need to understand the ways that your culture may be impeding your progress And the company also needs to understand how your personal culture may run counter to that company culture. Okay, next time we're going to dig even deeper into asking the right questions and interviewing with Ariane Gasser. My first episode with Ariane, which was about communications, is the most popular episode of Talent Champions to date which is why I asked her to come back and continue the conversation. See you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talentchampions.